let's hear the Lord speak this morning to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let him marry, it is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A a wife is bound to her her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. This is the word of the Lord. If you're visiting or if you knew, we're in the middle of this series in 1 Corinthians, going through this uh, letter from the Apostle Paul to this church in Corinth. And uh, in a church full of uh, mostly young single people, this is a really easy passage to teach. Um, But here we are. That's what the Bible says. So we're here and we're going to look at what this says. Um, Paul's been focusing... um, He's focusing in this section of the letter that we've called Life Together. He's been focusing on what does it mean when you, how does faith in Jesus, how does that impact our relationships with each other, right? What does it, what does it mean for our relationships to each other? And it seems like, it seems like there's the, the, the church have actually sent him a letter and they've asked him lots of questions, right? And, and so anytime that you see him write, uh, now concerning such and such, that's when Paul's really getting back to one of their questions. And this is one of these sections, right? So uh, he's, he's saying, now concerning the betrothed. And that means that they've probably sent him a letter or sent him a question about this kind of thing. Um, but, but last, all throughout chapter 7, just a quick recap, he, he's, he's basically using the questions around sex and marriage and singleness and, and, and divorce and being widowed and all these kinds of things, basically marriage relationships. He's using that question, these questions, that conversation to, to teach them one thing, right? To teach them this one principle, which is 
you belong to Jesus, and so whatever your life circumstances are, your first priority is living for him. That's basically it. So whatever your, your, your life circumstances are, because you belong to Jesus, your priority is living for him. Your priority, as we saw last week, obey, remaining with God by obeying the commands of Jesus. And, and in this passage in this morning, he's, he's still expanding on that principle and explaining this idea uh, while addressing this, these questions around singleness, right? And basically, this is what he says. As people who are in Christ... We should make choices about singleness and marriage in such a way that living for God is our undivided priority. That's what we're going to see right throughout this passage this morning. Let me say that again. As people who are in Christ, that's us. If you're a Christian, you're in Jesus. We should make decisions about marriage and singleness in such a way that living for God is our undivided priority. And maybe that's probably shouldn't be surprising if you're a Christian. That shouldn't be surprising that Paul's saying this thing. Now, it's a sensitive subject, isn't it? And I want to be as sensitive as possible this morning. But it is a sensitive subject because it's probably pretty obvious when you look around the world that um, I think that one of the main driving forces of our society is, is the desire to find your soulmate, the desire to find a partner, right? Um, I was uh, doing some, uh, just some research this week, and... Um, there are over 7 million people in the UK are registered on uh, online dating sites. 7 million. And then this was the worst thing of all. This was horrible is that one in 10, over 1 in 10 movies released in cinemas are romantic comedies. That's just, they're just not good movies. Why would, I, don't, I mean, it's terrible. Not just because they're romantic, but they're terrible movies. 1 in 10. And most people, I was reading... Uh, I was reading an article on psychology, is it psychology today or something like that, and um, they'd done this survey, and most people said that finding someone to love and be loved by is the main source of happiness in life. Finding someone to love and be loved by is the main source of happiness in life. So that's one side of the, that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is that, that more and more people, especially in cities and urban centers like where we live, I know we're not exactly a sprawl metropolis, but we are the main city of Northern Ireland. And, and this, this movement that, that people are postponing marriage in order to pursue their career. So more and more people are putting off getting married uh, till later in life and having children later in life, or even just putting off altogether so that they can pursue their career, Right? And here's where the tension comes in for us. Because if this life is all there is, if, if you just kind of get old and die and that's it, then you're done, then there's nothing wrong with finding your ultimate satisfaction in a soulmate or in a partner or in a husband or in a wife. And if this life is all there is, then there's nothing wrong with, with staying single just to advance your career and get rich and have fun and be free. There's nothing wrong with that. But... If there is more to life, if there's, if there's an eternal reality, right, that is someday soon going to be completely fulfilled when Jesus comes back, that's what we're going to see later, then, then what do we do with this desire to be married? Or what do we do with the desire to stay single? And that's what Paul's speaking into today, and, and I hope that we can apply it to, to our time and our lives. Um, Paul is writing to um, Corinth, this church in Corinth, and it was nearly 2,000 years ago, right? And basically what was happening in the church was that they were importing the values of the culture and the society around them, and they were trying to make them applicable to following Jesus. 
So they were essentially trying to fit a round peg in a square hole. Is it the other way? I'm not sure if it's the other way around, but you know what I mean. So in Greek thought, basically, if anyone knows, it doesn't matter. If anyone knows anything about Plato, this is basically it, Greek thought. Um, is that the, the, physical, the physical realm, the body, is dirty and less and not as good as the spiritual and intellectual. So, so there was a real belief that you, could, you, you needed to elevate yourself through higher thinking and through avoiding the physical realm. And they had imported this. And so it's out of that way of thinking that these Corinthians, they, they, were, they were asking all these questions about singleness to Paul. And we don't, we don't know, we don't have a record of what they exactly said to him, right? But because of the answers he gives, we can kind of assume that they were asking questions like, well, now that, we, now that we're Christians, should we not get married at all? Because that seems, like a, that seems like a pretty physical lower thing. Shouldn't we be focusing on more spiritual things? Or, or Paul, I'm, I'm engaged. Should I, should I break off my engagement so that I can focus on my spiritual life? That's kind of the things they're asking. And the good news is that when Paul answers them in this passage, it's, he says that when it, comes to, when it comes to the choice to be married or, or single, we have an incredible amount of freedom. We can choose to stay single, and if we are single, whether we're single by choice or by not, there's a lot of freedom that comes with that. And so let's take the first part of his answer to them, and, and I've called this uh, the choice of singleness, right? Now, let me explain what I mean by the choice of singleness, because I know that there, there's a lot of people who go through life perfectly happy and perfectly well without ever getting married. But a lot of the time, if, if we're honest with ourselves, it's not out of choice. Because it's probably just that marriage never happened for them. Because in our, in our culture, it's almost as if we're, we're just, it's just bred into it's just We're just taught this subconsciously that, that marriage is the default choice, isn't it? That, that's kind of what everybody should aim for. And so if you end up not getting married, well, oh, yeah, that's okay. But, but really, a lot of the time, if we're honest with ourselves, I know we might never say this to any of our single friends, but, but if we're honest with ourselves, we see that as, as being less preferable to being married, especially in Northern Ireland. And a lot of you guys are young and, and not married. And I wonder how many times you've heard the question, well, oh, when are you, you going to settle down and get married? When are you going to find a nice, a nice girl or a nice guy? Because it's just we're just taught that, that being married is the standard of life that, that we should all aim for. But what God says is that the standard of life that we should all aim for is not marriage, but faithful obedience to God. In fact, God says through Paul here in 1 Corinthians 7 that we have a choice to be single, and that not only is choosing to be single okay, it's actually a lot of the time much more preferable than, than being married. Listen to what he says here, starting in verse 30, or 25. Now, concerning the betrothed, right? Um, the word here, betrothed, it literally means virgins. Uh, but, but Paul's talking about people who were, were not married or people who were engaged to be married. We, we, we tend to have like, lots of categories, right? So if you're, people who are dating think they're not single. But as, I, think as, I, think, I think as far as God's concerned, you're single until you're married, right? And the Bible doesn't really have a category for dating, Culturally, that just didn't happen. So, concerning the betrothed, 
I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in the view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek to be, seek a wife. So are, are you bound to a wife? Is, are you engaged? Then don't seek to be free from that. But, but if, you, if you aren't engaged, then, then don't seek to be married. But if you do marry, you haven't sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she hasn't sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. And skip on down to verse 36. He says, if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It's not a sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage does even better. So there's a lot going on there, so let me unpack it a wee bit. Basically, Paul's argument is this. When it comes to getting married or staying single, you're free to choose what is best for you, right? Why? Because there's no command from the Lord. That's what we see in verse 25. Now, when he says there's no command from the Lord, what he's saying is... What he's saying is basically he can't refer back to any words that Jesus physically said when he was here on earth, right? But what he does is he's speaking as, uh, in his authority as an apostle. So, so we know it's in Scripture. He's literally speaking for God. That's what he's saying here. So he's saying, I can't refer back to anything Jesus said about being single when he was here on earth because th- there isn't anything. But he can speak in his authority as an apostle, So there's freedom to choose what is best for you when it comes to getting married or remaining single. In other words, you can choose not to get married. And that might be, it might on the surface not sound that shocking, but if we're honest, that is quite revolutionary, isn't it? You can choose not to get married. And certainly in the ancient world where, where Paul was writing to, like marriage was held in the highest regard, especially if you were a woman, right? Your, your family was your source of uh, financial stability. And, and it was more than that for a woman. It was your identity. And if you were a, a woman who was of marriage age and weren't married and didn't have children, then you were a social outcast. A woman without a family in Paul's time would have been seen as a failure. And so Paul's saying, that's not the case at all. And, and maybe we feel this today too, don't we? And I think, unfortunately, especially in the church, there's a stigma about singleness. If we're single, if we're not married, we, maybe we can feel frustrated because there's something wrong with us. Or, 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 or like maybe people think there's something wrong with us. Or maybe they say, there must be some horrible reason that we're not married. And maybe if we're single, we begin to believe that lie ourselves. But praise the Lord that Paul absolutely smashes that lie to pieces. Paul says, not only is singleness a viable option, but it may even be a better option. In verse 38, he says, if you get married, you will do well. But if you stay single, you'll do even better. Now, don't get me wrong and don't get Paul wrong. He's not saying that marriage is a bad thing at all. He says a couple of times in verse 28 and verse 36, he says, you know, getting married is not a sin. And, 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 earlier, and, and in other places, he teaches on the benefits of marriage and how to be married. But what he is saying is that both are good. There is freedom to choose. 
He doesn't need to go to either extreme. And we don't have to buy into what our culture and narrative and the way we were brought up tells us that you must be married in order to be fulfilled because that's simply not true. And, and, and we'll see later on. He says, well, sometimes it's better for practical reasons to stay single. But marriage is a good gift from God. And, and Paul certainly isn't against it. But the point is he, can, he commends both as in various circumstances. And we need to do the same. We don't need to pick a side. We don't need to say that marriage is better than singleness or that singleness is better than marriage. These things in the Bible are never pitted against each other. The truth is that in Jesus, we're free to, either, to choose to either be married or to be single. And, and can we just be honest with ourselves for a minute? I'm not asking you to speak out loud, but search your own heart. Because I've, really I've been really challenged by reading this this week. Just so you know that. And I was saying to Haley... This really affect me, and there's some things I want to change in my own attitude, in my own life. But we we maybe think that being single is. We, I guess on the outside we maybe think that being single is great, right? But in practice, we probably don't believe that. Because think about it: we try and set our single friends up with people all the time, or, or we we think we see our single friend, we're like, oh, wouldn't it be great if she could just find a a nice guy, or wouldn't it be great if he could just find a nice girl, or wouldn't it be great if, if they could just find someone to be with? When in reality we should be thinking, wouldn't it be great if they could find Jesus? Uh, one of my teachers this week, Sam Albury, he's, he's, a, he's a, single, as a single pastor, and he speaks a lot about this subject. Um, as someone who's been practicing being a pastor and being single for a long time. And, and he says that we tend, to, and I think he's right, we tend to think of singleness in purely negative terms, right? So we think of singleness uh, in terms of what it isn't and what it lacks, rather than what it is and what it has. You see, the Bible speaks in singleness in terms of what it is rather than what it isn't. And we tend to think of singleness as the absence of marriage or the absence of intimacy or the absence of companionship or close relationship. But that's not the picture that we get from this passage. It's not the picture that we get from other places in the Bible. Because Paul's saying, whatever situation you find yourself in, you're to be content. And you can find contentment in Jesus no matter your circumstances. So here's the point. If you do end up getting married, all you people who are not married yet, then that's good. That's not a sin. But if you end up being single, that's great. But neither of these things should be your primary aim or focus in life. Your aim and focus in life should be living for Jesus. So let me, let me challenge you before we move on for a second, especially the younger single folks here, the younger unmarried folks here. When you think about marriage... Or you mean, there's a lot of engaged people here as well. So when you think about marriage, are you thinking about it with the priority of living for Jesus? Some of you are engaged. Some of you are dating. Well, let me ask you this. Will being married hinder you from living for Jesus? Or will it enable you to live for Jesus? And there's nothing wrong with the desire to be married. We saw marriage is a good gift, but, and so is singleness. And so if you desire to be married, then you need to think about it in the right way. It's, it, these are hard questions to ask ourselves. Are you getting married for the right reasons? Do you want marriage for the right reasons? And if we're serious about our faith, if we're serious about living for Jesus, if we really believe what we say we believe, 
then we need to ask ourselves these questions. Because the truth is, marriage, or the, the, at least the hope of being married, can become an idol, right? It's a bit like, um, you know when you have no money, you can ide- idealize, or idolize the thought of having money? You know, like we were out for dinner the other night, and I'm, we're like, wouldn't it be great if we come to places like this all the time, and someone gives us nice gifts, and I was like, wouldn't it be, I think I was born to be rich, because I really enjoy this kind of thing. That would be cool. But if you don't have money, you can idolize the idea of having money. If you're not married, you can easily idolize marriage. You don't have to be married to idolize marriage. And like every other idol in life, it's really hard to smash it down and get rid of it, but it's worth giving it up because living for Jesus is better. And honestly, if you're single, idolizing marriage by thinking it will solve all your problems and bring you fulfillment, it's just going to wreck your singleness. And if you're married and you idolize marriage, it's just going to wreck your marriage. And so Paul says we have the freedom to choose singleness. But I want to look at next at, well, what does it mean to live in singleness? And this is, brings us on to our second point. By the way, if you're married, don't switch off. We all need to hear this. Paul talks about the freedom of singleness. That's our second point. Um, yeah, I just will read this. I'll read these few verses, starting in verse 26. He says, I think that in, few, in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. And then he says, are you bound to be married? Then, 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 then do that. If you're not bound to be married, then don't do that. Yet those who, who will marry, those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you from that. This is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. We'll come back to that. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And and those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Paul's saying there's something that is more urgent and more important over and above whether or not you get married. See, Paul knows and he's keen to emphasize to us that, that we're living in the end times. This phrase that he uses, uh, the, the, verse 26, the present distress, that's a way of referring to the end times. And in verse 29, he says that the appointed time has grown very short. So this present distress, that, that word present actually means imminent. It, it's impending. It, it's, we're, it, it's, 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 it's coming. It's close. You see, Paul knows that with the coming of Jesus, when Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, ascension to heaven, that brought in a new era of time that we now live in. It's a very different time frame for the world. And so our priorities need to reflect that. Not that the everyday things don't matter, but we need to see our lives in the light of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that puts these things of life into our proper place. Paul's saying the kingdom of God is here and it will soon be fulfilled. So don't be so concerned about the life circumstances that you find yourself in. In other words, now that Christ has come, we are living in the end of history. So believers must live in the light of the end that came about with Christ's death and resurrection. He says in verse 31, the present form of this world is passing away, right? And this world form, it's, um, that's the word, it's the, the, the same Greek word that's used for the, the, the masks that actors wore, right? You've seen these masks, the, the smiley one and the frowny one. Have you ever seen those? And one guy's like the frowny one and one guy's the smiley one. 
Um, that's, they, they, were, they, were, they were this, they were formed, schema. That's where we get the word scheme from, by the way. But it, it, and so another way of saying this is that the mask that this present world wears will soon be removed and we will see the world for what it really is. Isn't that a cool way of thinking about it? The mask, the, the, the world is wearing a mask, and someday soon that mask is going to be taken off and we're going to see the world for what it really is. You see, everything in life we have is really good. All the good things that we have. But, but these good things wear the mask of being ultimate things, don't they? The, these things the world promised to fulfill us in ways that they could never fulfill us. And once we realize that these things are wearing a mask, which is the privileged position that we get to be in in Jesus, we have immense freedom to live in this eternal perspective. We can live seeing these things for what they really are. We can live free from the anxieties and distractions of the world. We, to put it simply, we can live not just as though tomorrow is coming. We can live as though Christ is coming. Yeah, he said again. We can live as though, not just as though tomorrow is coming. We can live as though Christ is coming. Jesus is coming back. And someday we're going to be like, he's back. And all this things that we make ultimate things in our lives will just seem silly in comparison to that. Paul says, you don't have to be too worried about your circumstances in life because someday this mask is going to be removed and we'll see the world for what it really is. So we can pursue contentment in Christ knowing that God has placed us exactly where he needs us to be. And we need to keep this eternal perspective. And this is what Paul desires the Corinthians to see. He says, so from now on, let those who have wives live as if they have none. So uh, if you're married, live as if you aren't married. That's a weird thing. We'll come back to that. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. Those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, etc., etc., etc. But he, this is what he's saying. He doesn't say, stop having a wife. He's like, just ignore your, your wife. He doesn't say, stop dealing with the world. But he's, he's encouraging us to see that we should live as none of those things that we, we do in life are, are, are our ultimate things, that they mean everything to us. He's not trying to get us to give up on these things, but to put them in their proper place. In other words, do love your husband or wife. Do mourn. Do rejoice. Do business. Do engage with the world. But don't do these things as if there was nothing outside the reality that we can see with our physical eyes. So here's what tends to happen, I think. Married people, we so easily fall into the trap of living like our family life is the only thing that matters in eternity. Right, we 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 prioritize each our, our spouse and and our kids above everything else, even God. That's idolization, and we take this good gift of marriage that and we idolize it by making it the ultimate thing, right? But that's not what God intended. And if you're married, maybe think of how you think of your marriage and family life, especially in a place like Northern Ireland. This is not what God intended for marriage. You know what God intended for marriage? That it would be a picture of how Jesus loves the church. And so married people, your job is to, is to live in such a way that, that you can demonstrate how Jesus loves the church. And single people, 
Your job is to live in such a way that, that you remind us married people who get carried away that our marriage is, is not eternal, and it's just a picture of how Jesus loves us. It's just a picture of ultimate love. That's, that's the gift of singleness to the church, and we as the church need to treasure that gift. We need to make sure that, that we don't, in, either in spoken ways or unspoken ways, communicate that marriage is better than singleness. And I'm sorry if I've done that. Because I can't, and I, I can't emphasize this enough. It's just not true. That's a lie that comes from Satan, and we need to emphatically reject that. Marriage is not better than singleness. And singleness is not better than marriage. That's the lie, but here's the truth. Well, that's the truth, actually. The lie was a bit before that. But here's this eternal perspective truth, just in case you got confused. To all you folks who aren't married, I want you to hear this, and hopefully this can be a word of comfort if you struggle with this. You are no less complete or fulfilled than your married brothers and sisters. In Jesus you already have everything that you will bring into the completed kingdom of God with you. You're no less completely fulfilled than anyone who's married. And you already have everything in Jesus that you will bring into the kingdom. And because of this, there's this immense freedom that comes from being single, right? Paul says, that, that we can be free from anxieties. We can be, be free from div- divided priorities. And we can be free to serve the Lord. And I, I can speak from my experience um, that, that when two people get married, it's not, you, don't, you don't end up with less things to, to worry about, right? You end up with more things to worry about. You, and, and then when kids come along, you have even more anxieties. I'm not, I'm not saying that marriage is a chore, by the way. Really not. It's just the truth. It's just, it's just the way it is, right? When you, you just have more stuff to consider and more stuff to think about, and that's right and good, and it should be that way. But, but being married gives us more things to be anxious about. You, you want your spouse to be happy and fulfilled. You have to consider each other's well-being. You have to look after each other. You can't just make decisions without telling the other person or without consulting them or, or without you both making that decision together. I, I, I say this a lot, like, uh, I didn't realize how selfish I was until I got married, and then I didn't realize how selfish I was until I had kids. And when you have a, ch- when you have a family, you, you, like, you want your children to be healthy and happy and well provided for and developing and all that kind of stuff. And Paul's not saying this is bad, and, and if you are married, you should consider each other in every decision and every aspect of your lives, and if you're not doing that, then you're disobeying God. But... Paul's just saying, if you do get married, do it for the right reasons and with the right motives. Because we're living in the end times. Jesus is coming back. And if you're in it for the wrong reasons, all you're doing is just bringing anxieties and concerns that are taken away from serving the Lord. So instead of getting married, if that's your motive, instead of getting married, just because the world tells us that it's the ultimate fulfillment in life, choose to be single so that you're free from all these anxieties. And if you do find yourself being a single person, then realize that you're free from all these anxieties that marriage brings, and then use that freedom to serve Jesus. And people are single for all kinds of reasons, right? We know this. It's not just like it's, 
it's just, you can't just say single people and married people. That's not, that's not the way it works, right? A lot of us in this church are single because it, it, you're young. But then there's other people that are single because they choose to be single. There's other people that are single because they've been widowed, like my mom. Or there's other people who are single because they've been divorced. So you kind of have the not married yet, then didn't get married, and the have become not married again. And that stretches all across life. And so we, as a church, we want to foster attitudes that, that aren't just a blanket approach to single people and go, oh, they're the single people. That's not, what, that's not what the Bible teaches. Single people come from every stage of life. And what's not important is, is whether someone's married or single and how we approach them. What's important is they're our brother or sister in Jesus. But Paul says, whatever the reason you're single, that's a gift. And it comes with freedom. You're in a privileged position. Now listen to what he says again in verse 32. He says, The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to be uh, holy in body and in spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things and how to please her husband. Now Paul's not saying that... It's better to be single because then you can really serve Jesus, right? As if married people can't really please God. That's not what he's saying. It's not that being married and pleasing God are at odds with each other. Again, notice that he's not pitting these things at one is better than the other. But what he is, what he is talking about, I think, is, can be demonstrated in, in how we care for others, right? And, and not just our biological families. So when you're single... You have a certain type of freedom to do to care for people in a way that, that married people just don't have. For example, say if I'm at home with, with Haley and, and the kids or whatever, and someone a, a friend calls me and they're like, uh, you, you know, I need you. I'm in distress. I can't just get up and leave without thinking. Now, thankfully, I, you know, most cases I'd be like, Haley, go to your friend, or vice versa. But 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 we do have to think of each other. And I, I'm, bound to, I'm bound to my wife through the vows I made to her and to God. And he's the one that keeps me accountable to that. You're not, you're not as free as what Paul said. It's a different kind of freedom. Now, by the way, married people, this doesn't mean that when you're married, you get off the hook. You don't, I don't have to love my neighbors. I don't have to serve the church because I'm married. That's not, that's not it either. There's a balance to strike here. In fact, married people in the church have a responsibility, I would say, to cultivate our lives and our homes so that, 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 that our marriage becomes a tool for caring for the body and for loving our neighbors, especially the single people. But what the single person has is this undivided devotion to the Lord. If you're not married, you're freed up to serve the Lord with a capacity and a focus that wouldn't be available or even appropriate if you were married and had a family. Singleness is a blessing because it gives more freedom to serve the body of Christ. Single people can serve the Lord in a wider range of ways that wouldn't be otherwise possible. So if you're single, and young especially, don't be sitting around waiting for marriage as if God can only start using you when you get married because that's not true. You don't have to wait until you're married to be used by God to bless other people. If you're a single woman, get in, stuck in to discipling the women around you. If you're a single man, get stuck in to discipling the other men of the church. Meet people for a coffee or a drink. Ask them how they're doing. Spend time praying for people. 
Find ways to serve each other. Ask yourself, what does my singleness allow me, what ways does my singleness allow me to serve the body of Jesus that I wouldn't be able to if I were married? Ask yourself even, what missional opportunities do I have because I'm single that I can take advantage of that I couldn't if I were married? Last week, for example, we prayed for Judy, who's going off on the, the big boat to tell people about Jesus. That wouldn't be quite so easy if she were married, but she's using her singleness well to take advantage of that missional opportunity. Single people, especially young single people, you should be the first to volunteer to do stuff. You should be the first to, to clean the church and to, to go around to your neighbor and cut their grass or whatever it may be. And if you are single, God has you in the state of singleness because that's how Ian his infinite goodness and his infinite wisdom needs you to be right now. And you have no less to offer the church than anyone else. Sometimes, maybe if you're single, and even I struggle with this this week, I'm like, well, I'm married and I'm speaking into singleness. But here's, that's, that's the wrong way of thinking about it because there's this attitude that exists in the world and it says that if you haven't experienced something, you can't have an opinion on it, right? So the classic example is in the abortion conversation, no uterus, no opinion. But that's not true, especially in the church. Why? Because we speak to each other from the truth of God's word, not from our experience. So married people can minister to single people and single people, you can minister to married people. In fact, we need you to do that for us. Don't let your single, don't fall into the trap. It's a lie and I want you to be free from that, that, that marriage hinders you from serving God or, or that, that singleness hinders you from serving God because that's not true. God has put you exactly where he needs you to be and if you let him, he will use you mightily through that. So what does this mean? All of this put together. Well, basically in short, if you're single, be content in Christ and use your position to serve him. That's the freedom of singleness. And before that, we saw the choice of singleness. Then I just want to finish with the challenge of singleness, just the last five minutes or so. Look at this uh, wee bit near the end, verses 37 and 38. He says, uh, But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined in this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So if, you've, if, if you're not under compulsion, if you decided this is the right thing for you to go through with your marriage, to pursue marriage, then you will do that well. So then, he who married, marries his betrothed does well. If you get married, you will do well. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. So there was this kind of conflict in marriage that exists in our day too that, that Paul was speaking into. There, on one hand, you had the social pressure to get married. On the other hand, there was this kind of um, way of thinking was like that, that, that staying single was better. And I guess that's the conflicting message that we have too. And Paul says, well, don't stay single or don't get married. In fact, he says, don't do anything <laughs> just because everybody is telling you to do it. And more than that, he says in verse 30, 30, 37 that we need to get our own desires under control. So if you're staying single because you want to serve the church and love your neighbor, 
that's a pretty good reason to not get married. But if you're doing it because you want to focus on your career and, and you don't want to give up just living for yourself or whatever, then that's not so good. Or if you want to get married because you want to give yourself away and serve someone else completely, that's a really good reason to get married. But if you want to get married because you can't bear the thought of being alone or, or you really want someone to complete you, that's not a good reason to get married. And listen, I'm trying to, I've tried to be really sensitive here, and, and I apologize that if I've said anything that isn't from the Bible, um, I, know that, I know that church can, is sometimes the hardest place to be single. And if you feel that way in this church, then can I just say, I'm really sorry. That's not how it should be at all, and it's not how any of us want it to be. And, and listen, to all of us, we need to make sure that we're building our church not around the nuclear family. Um, I, I, my desire is that, that we as a church would have a rethinking of, of, of family. And, and one of our core values of a church is, is creating a culture of church as family, right? And, and if the church really is the family of God, then we should have this mingling of our spiritual family and our biological families, right? If, if, if the church really is the family, then single people who are part of the church shouldn't feel like they don't have a family. That's the challenge. That's the challenge for us. Because in Jesus, you've been brought into his family. And we, all of us collectively, need to order our lives so that single people who are part of our church feel like they are part of our family. And if you're single and you're discontent in that, please don't for a second think that marriage is the answer to your discontentment. Marriage isn't the solution because singleness isn't the problem. And whether you're single or married, if your only motivation for marriage or towards marriage is that you can't bear the thought of being alone and you need somebody to complete you, then, then you're putting too much weight on human relationships that nobody could ever fulfill that. No human being can complete you. There's only one person who can complete you. And Paul finishes this section in verse 40 by saying, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Now, I think most people say that what's going on here, they've written in the letter to him saying, hey, I think the Spirit is saying this. <laughs> and he's like, well, hey, I too have the Spirit, by the way, <laughs> which I think is quite clever. But anyway, but this is, he's found the answer. He has the Spirit of God, right? The answer isn't singleness. And Paul was single. Paul, Paul wasn't married. The answer wasn't singleness. The answer wasn't marriage. It was the one whose love is infinitely better than either being single or being married. Marriage will always let you down. Singleness will always let you down. But Jesus will never let you down. Right? Even, even when he was facing death square in the face, even when they were beating him and mocking him, and pulling his beard out, and slapping him, and pushing a crown of thorns in his head, and driving iron spikes through his hands and feet onto a wooden cross, he refused to let you go. Isn't that the kind of love that we should be pursuing? And when we know love like that, we can face anything. 
Some of you want nothing more than to be married, and some of you miss marriage more than anything. And, and some of you know that you'll never be married. And, and, and that's just how life is. And, and that's how God in his infinite goodness and wisdom works. So I can't promise you that you'll get everything you want in life. But I can promise you something better. I can promise you that by trusting in Jesus, you will be satisfied. You will be fulfilled. You will be completed. Single or married, his love is better than either of those things. And I think that, and this is what I felt this week when I was reading through this stuff and preparing for today. I think, I think Jesus is just inviting us again to trust in him, simply. And maybe you need to trust in him for the first time. And maybe you need to trust in him again for the thousandth, thousandth time. But the truth is that he's never going to let you go. He'll always be faithful. He promises that you will find satisfaction. So, so maybe just reach out and take his hand and let him lead you. Can I just encourage you to do that? Just trust him. Just find your rest in him. And I, I promise you, in fact, no, God promises you that when you trust in him, he will never, ever let you go. I hope, that, I hope that's encouraging, and I, and I, I hope I've spoken into this sensitively, and that's, that's my heart, and, and I'd love to have conversation with you if you have anything to say about or against or, or towards that or, or whatever, but, but, but my desire is that, that we don't prioritize marriage or singleness. My desire is that together we as a family pursue following Jesus. And that we prioritize him. So hopefully, in his, by his help, we can do that. Let me pray for us.